0: Pop Health. The Blog Talk Radio episode is brought to you by Health Innovation Media. And welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Masters, the producer and co host of the show. And in the virtual studio today are my colleagues, Fred Goldstein, principal co host and co founder of Pop Health Week, and Douglas Goldstein, also known as E Futurist, a principal co host at Health Innovation Media, who joins us for our periodic and typically month-end roundups greetings guys greetings to you greg and doug
1: pleasure to be here again for another week
2: Mm, happy holidays
0: (laughs) oh that's right and this is our holiday edition so for those of you not familiar with fred he's a veteran healthcare executive and the president of accountable health llc which is a Jacksonville, Florida-based consulting firm. Fred serves on the editorial board of the Journal of Population Health Management and the advisory board of Care Innovation's Validation Institute. Fred is a past chair and former board member of the Population Health Alliance. He's known on Twitter as at FS Goldstein. Douglas Goldstein, eFuturist, is an innovator in digital health, precision medicine, and population health. He specializes in applying the right mix of mobile social media gamification big data analytics customer science and emerging technologies for improved performance and outcomes as the e-futurist doug delivers the latest insights on health transformation through innovation collaboration and leadership popular keynotes and workshops include innovate now digital doctoring today DNA and nano-doctoring tomorrow, and I leadership. My background includes thought leadership and strategy consulting for hospitals, health systems, and physician-led ventures. I publish in principally author, acowatch.com, healthinnovationmedia.com, and precisionmedicine.center. If your hospital, health system, physician venture, or healthcare conference is looking for social media marketing support, including digital media content development, curation, engagement, or amplification. Ping me on Twitter via health guru, or via email greg at healthinnovationmedia.com with two Gs. Today's show is our year-end roundup where we take a pulse check on the noteworthy industry developments in population health, precision medicine, including personalized health in the accountable care industry. And with that introduction, gentlemen, let's get right to it. Fred, from uh, population health management and contributions to both the science and practice of population health, what have you seen in terms of top-of-mind progress in the space? And conversely, what, if any, ke- uh, key headwinds the industry is likely to face uh, going forward?
1: Well, that's a great question, Greg. And essentially, what, what, what I've noticed over 2016 is we started out the year with uh, people talking about population health and that that banter, that discussion has just gotten louder and louder. It's really becoming a centralized focus of providers, although they still may not be aware of what to do with that. So um, it's caused, it's, it's certainly, it's picked up a lot of, of steam, especially over the last couple of months with a number of very large announcements by uh, providers and, uh, and um, really IT companies. And that's sort of where population health is struggling a little bit, is everybody still is looking at this mostly as an IT-based activity. Um, The difficulty with that is that, Yes, you need data and analytics to do population health, but at the end of the day, it's the grunt work that goes on with that data. It's the care coordination, it's the social workers speaking with the patient, it's the reminders to get people to do things, it's the evidence-based practice of medicine. And I think that's where we're still seeing providers in particular struggle with trying to achieve outcomes in the population health space, which may be leading to some of what I believe you're gonna discuss later on around uh, ACOs, So it's been a, it's been a good year. I think there's been good progress made. I think providers now recognize sort of what it is. They're beginning to figure out how do you do that. One of the concerns I would have going forward as when you ask about headwinds is uh is really the, it, within the new administration, some of the language coming out of uh, the HHS secretary nominee, uh, Congressman Price, is you know, we need to put physicians back in control. Um, and some of the other language leads you to believe that maybe they're gonna move away from some of these value based payment models. And if you take out that payment model and go back to a fee for service model, there really is limited dollars that could be used to put in the pieces you need to do population health. So it'll be interesting to see in these next couple of months how the administration comes out and what they do with what is currently the Affordable Care Act in this push to value-based payment, which should, if done right, free up dollars for providers to put more money into population health efforts and staff and and systems. Uh, And if they go back to fee-for-service, obviously there are really no dollars to do
0: that. Let me ask you this, Fred, if um, for those not following in exquisite detail what we do here at Pop Health Week, uh, back up a little bit and talk about what is population health, perhaps for the, um, not those who are totally tracking with it, but is it just rebranded disease management or is there something else going on?
1: There's really, uh, it's really looking at a a population, you can define a population as the country, a city, a county, a practice, a hospital's patients, um, or even within a practice, you could say, well, my population I'm trying to provide as a population health type service to is the people with di- that are living with diabetes in my practice. So then there's really this framework that... that uh, works very well for population health and essentially consists of a number of stages. Stage one is identification. You have to identify your population. Who are they? Stage two is assess them. And that can be very simple to assess them to extremely complex and begin to integrate some of the precision medicine stuff. Um, Once you've assessed them, you then stratify them and say, hey, these people are at different risk levels or, or the potential risk, whether it's financial risk or clinical risk. And I need to then engage them and set up some sort of an intervention mechanism. So what programs are I going to put in place to intervene? At the end of that process, you have to measure that and feed it back into the system and say, yes, these interventions worked. We saw improvements in A1C values or lower ER visits or better adherence to medications or better practice of evidence-based medicine, or they didn't, and we need to go back and change those. So it's really a a process, a very good framework from the Population Health Alliance to do um, population health, and I think providers are beginning to understand that concept better and, and sort of congealing on an approach.
0: So, in the segmentation way of looking at it, let's say employ, uh, you have, you know, uh, typically a hospital might test their population health focus on their employee and the insured employee base. A health plan would consider their members a population and then risk stratifying and drilling into higher risk to leverage returns from potential interventions. Where are the best results being shown? Are they employer-based? Are they uh, um, health plan-based or other? I think I, I,
1: there, there's a f- there are a few examples of these. So some of them obviously are, are health plans that have chosen to focus on a population, say the persons with diabetes or others within their plan. Also, you've seen some of these initiatives that are a little more community based. So in Boston, they did a focus on, on 800 people with asthma who were very frequent utilizers of the ER and very high cost. And they were able to create a broad approach implementing some community groups to show, for example, a 40% reduction in the costs of those individuals and and large reductions in ER utilization hospitalizations. So there there are a number of different models that have worked. um, A little less successful in the provider space, although again, you've got some providers like we had on, uh, I believe it was uh, two years ago with Roy Hinman, who's who's been managing a full global risk practice in, in with Medicare patients and has been able to show some really good results there. Um, the, I, I think the jury's still out on how far providers can take it. I tend to see providers, at least the, some of them, not all, um, not providing enough resources to actually impact the population.
0: And perhaps a word on what CMS is doing through the Accountable uh, Community Program?
1: Yeah, I think there are some innovative things being done. It's obviously early, and they're they're walking out with some very simple approaches to try to look at moving the health of populations. So I think uh, it'll be interesting to watch that and, and also to watch what does the new administration do with those models? I think, um, you know, as Doug and others, and you and I have looked at these models, I think there are some really neat ways you can implement programs to improve the health of communities. You know, we've talked to Esther Dyson. We know of the Blue Zone folks and obviously Esther with her way to Wellville. You've got the Clinton Health Matters initiative with some of theirs and Humana's bold goal. All of these sort of broader efforts to create a uh, improvement in the in the health of a community, whether they happen to be Medicare, Medicaid, or even, you know. Um, uh, commercially insured, but in essence, look at the whole community. And I think those initiatives over the longer run, if done right, have some incredible
0: potential. So give me your gut here. What what are the odds of the Trump administration walking away from essentially these validated health policies? I
1: don't think you can do it. I don't think you can walk away from them because they're good ideas. It's the right approach. The question is, do you walk away from what should be the appropriate funding mechanism, which is moving to some sort of a value-based payment or a bundled payment or a global cap payment or something that allows the savings to be accrued to be used to implement these programs?
0: Excellent. Maybe a great pivot here to Doug. Now, Doug, the precision medicine initiative has been in the spotlight since Obama introduced it to us in January of 2015 and most recently rebranded to the All of Us Research Program and perhaps a lesser known entity also titled the Participant Technology Center. How about your take on the above and any additional commentary on the near-term progress, perhaps since Eric Dishman has taken the helm uh, of this important public-private effort?
2: Well, I suspect the rebranding is probably the biggest reflection of his work. So the Precision Medicine Initiative Program, to recap, is targeted over three or four years to obtain the whole genomic sequences of over a million Americans. But in addition to that, they want to have people consent to have their electronic health information shared from their physicians and providers, and they also want to actively gather user generated data over time and uh, they'll be looking at social determinants health and where people live it relates all those dynamics so the first thing is a million people rolled up so we're in a ramp up period because the funding just got announced several months ago so the firms that were so, and the organizations were selected are ramping up their technology so <clears throat> there are participant enrollment centers hospitals and other places where people can go to donate their blood for whole genome sequencing. Um, the participant technology center is a, a mobile uh, web-based solution that would include a call center, but the really the mobile or the web experience would be targeted to help people determine whether to participate, uh, to get their consent, to direct them to an enrollment center, um, and really facilitate that, and then be... A nexus for ongoing communication back to the individual around their participation in the program from this research program so this research program is unique in that elements of the data are going to be shared back with the participants and so the initiative is defining how that happens right now as it scopes as it works out the details of the some, the awards that they provided for the enrollment centers and the mobile web-based coordinating center. So it's important to recognize that uh, any American can participate. Um, People will have access to their information. They're making significant efforts for uh, security and privacy and this is really an effort not, you know, the enrollment period to get up to a million people is, you know, three to four years. However, they hope people stay sharing user-generated data for 5, 10, 15 years. So I think probably the, the focus on all of us as opposed to the precision medicine <laughs> initiative is a big part of Eric's leadership, and uh, you know he owes his life to precision medicine. So I think we're in a um, watch-and-see mode as the enrollment centers start enrolling people and gathering samples. So uh, I think it's a huge opportunity to augment the genomic database. The current largest one is at Veterans Administration with over nearly 500,000 whole genome sequences. And then there's a series of um, private sector databases, so ANOVA Health Systems at the ANOVA Translational Medicine Institute has a healthy cohort of 10,000 people, 3,000 families, children, Um, and health systems like North Shore in Chicago have upwards of 10,000 in various kinds of disease-focused genetic cohorts where they've gathered data. So uh, I think the most interesting thing about this is that it's getting a lot of attention worldwide. So more countries are looking at uh, genetic profiling and many states. So in conversations with vibrant health, which is the lead provider of the Participant Technology Center Solution and Technology, uh, Vibrant Health has indicated that they have a number of states reaching out to them and really trying to understand, can, can health be improved by gathering whole genome, genomic sequences uh, or exomes or some, some piece of this puzzle uh, as part of uh, overall health initiatives?
0: Well, let, let me ask you there, make the case for precision medicine can it does it demonstrate value or is this mostly an on-the-come thesis
2: the answer is yes and maybe and no (laughs) the jury's still the jury's still out a bit on this i mean we we have to there's been a whole genome sequencing activity and the number of things that are actionable off that have not been what's expected, to, expected. So we now have the Apollo moonshot focused on cancer, and we have this field called transomics. So it's not just, it's sort of like a foundation of a house doesn't define what the rest of the house looks like. So your genomic sequence um, is just part of the equation of health. So the other piece is your gene sequence determines what proteins you make. And proteins are basically the factories of the body. So that's proteomics. So we're now a major part of the moonshot effort is to focus on the proteomic component of this and how it intersects with your genomic elements as it relates to improve health. But I think the essence, the reason why I'm saying S is that the best the best bets of everybody who's been in the industry is that it there's no silver bullet here that you have basically four quadrants that are going to influence health of people um, ultimately coming down to people's behaviors in many chronic conditions but you have electronic health medical record information in one bucket you've got user generated data that could be coming off of fitbit or an apple watch to inform people on how to manage and amounts of physical activity. Then you have these omic databases, gen- genomic sequencing, proteomic profiling, particularly as it relates to cancer because tumors are very tricky. They change, um, they hide themselves. So how do you turn off their cloaking mechanisms and, and then activate T cells in our own immune system to attack them? And then the fourth bucket, And some people argue could be the most important is social determinants of health. Um, So, you know, we have strong bipartisan support for precision medicine. Uh, It's been reflected in the 21st century cures bill that passed. Not only did it pass um, just recently, but appropriations for the next year or two were set aside. So it's usually it's a very kind of bipartisan uh, commitment to move forward. Now, the interesting thing about Moonshot that's sort of dis, uh, the 21st Century Cures bill, it's the strong support for precision medicine and medical devices as these things to, to improve health, but it defunded prevention initiatives to the tune of $3.5 billion. So the dist- distressing part of this is that our government leadership on both the Democratic and the Republican side supports innovation through precision medicine, medical devices, and all the things in the 21st century cures bill. Uh, However, they defunded prevention. And some of our contacts, Fred and I are working on the Hill, um, and uh, particularly on the Republican side, thinks that, yes, the moonshot is important, cancer moonshot's important, but we need a prevention moonshot. And the 21st century cures (laughs) didn't reinforce that. So I think in addition to activity moving to the state level and state empowerment that we're uh, going to see perhaps a renewed interest in support of primary prevention uh, because ultimately many of these problems that are driving the cost curve are problems of choice based on lifestyle and decisions that people make and the fact that they may be disconnected lonely stressed uh the opioid mm-hmm. epidemic etc so um I think me, that there's. I, I think we can't solve. We can't improve health without a solving addressing all those buckets.
1: Yeah, let me ask you one quick question, uh, Doug. And it's interesting. The timing of this is very interesting. So an hour ago, a little over an hour and a half ago, I actually uh, put my spit into a bottle and sent it off as part of the Michael J. Fox Foundation Parkinson's research. Um, and I'm actually pretty excited. I found it on Facebook. Do you think it, that that getting that this is going to resonate to get people to to participate, it certainly did with me. Uh, you know, obviously, my father had Lewy body dementia, so they I qualified for the study and
2: said, "Yeah, let me in." Uh, do you think it will get those a million people? Well, I think they I think they'll get a million people, um, and I think they get a good shot at doing it in the time frame. I, I think that you've got consumer products, twenty three and Me, um, actively promoting at an attractive price point. There's an element of health and ancestry and history and entertainment in the 23 me product because it's health-oriented and it's hard for them to cross into medical. So I think there's a number of forces in the consumer industry. And I think uh, in the consumer market, the other thing that's going to be interesting is that life insurance companies. uh, So people think, oh, you know, life insurance companies aren't going to be supportive. Well, I have inside information that there's, you know, uh, upwards of a billion dollar support from life insurance companies because what they actually want you to do is buy life insurance and then go get tested so you can be more educated and motivated to manage your health. If you have, uh, because they believe and their research says that if people are knowledgeable about their health and genetic profile, that and a number of conditions can be managed or delayed through smart consumerism, I mean, let's just take the obvious. You can reverse diabetes through diet and exercise in many cases. You can, you know, reduce obesity through nutrition, exercise, social support. So many of these chronic conditions that are becoming epidemic uh, can be addressed and, you know, genetic sequencing and understanding predispositions to better understand why someone may be overweight if there's a genetic profile. I think there's more and more smaller groups of of targeted areas that people are going to get motivated to say maybe part of my problem is genetic and they're going to reach out to the 23 me's and the various other initiatives out there and the the greater number of health systems doing genetic profiling as part of treatment so the answer is yeah i think we're uh on the verge of it i think it uh i think they'll be successful in getting a million people in three to five years great
0: okay guys so let's uh, pivot here to our final of our three topics today which is accountable care and since the affordable care act was passed in 2010 much of the hope if you will of having an impact of improving essentially achieving the triple aim better experience of care better outcomes at lower per capita costs the ACO has been seen as a workhorse in in trying to get that done. And in August of this year, the results for 2015 were posted by CMS, and those results were both mixed and modest. And to uh, put that in perspective, there were a total of, at that point, 392 ACOs participating in the program with uh, two and a half years of experience Uh, in the program. 389 were in track one, which is shared savings only, no downside risk. And only three opted for the shared savings plus uh, the downside risk exposure. In terms of geographic dispersion, in the Midwest, there were 83. In the Northwest, there were also 83. In the South, however, there was 169 Uh, participating, which is a 2X plus multiple compared to other regions. And in the the West, there were only 56. Uh, The average quality score for all of these ACOs rolled up was 91%. Health Affairs notes that 31% of the Medicare Shared Savings Program participants and Pioneer ACOs received shared savings for their uh, performance year in 2015 which is uh, an increase over the 27% for the prior year. Uh, While more ACOs are succeeding under the program, there continues to be substantial variation in financial performance and quality results. And there were some dimensions that were broken out as to explaining why, if you look under the hood, uh, there was this variability in performance. And the first one is, is the benchmarking concept. And that simply is, the formula that creates the thresholds for declaring minimum savings rates, benchmark performance, and whether or not their' savings uh, that can be returned to the participating ACO and CMS that received uh, shared service savings had significantly higher financial benchmarks per beneficiary. And that goes to this uh, geographical consideration, which between the West versus the South versus the Midwest or the Northeast, you have essentially more or less sophistication around aggressiveness of managed markets. So in the West, you have a little more um, uh, aggressive approach to ACOs, HMOs, Medicare Advantage plans more proactive management, if you will, of the Medicare beneficiary. So just the benchmarking is a a key determinant of whether there's a savings or not. Maturity matters. The longer an organization participates in an ACO, the more time it has to learn about how to be efficient, improve operations, and eventually transform healthcare delivery. Lo and behold, physician-led and integrated ACOs and smaller ACOs tended to do better versus their hospital-driven or hospital-centric ACO, the geographic variation uh, mentioned previously, and on a total impact basis, beneficiaries in the Medicare Shared Savings Program cost uh, the CMS $72.9 billion against an estimated cost of $73.3 billion for gross savings of $429 million. CMS paid 646 million in shared savings bonus payments to high performing CEOs, leading to a net loss of 260 million or a loss of like, slightly less than 3%. Contribution to the total impact varied considerably. Uh, ACOs in the first round, start date of April uh, 2012, saw average savings of over 200 per beneficiary for 2015, while rounds three and five collectively realized losses for the year. So there's policy implications, there's a significant delivery system reform implications and this is all going to be ferreted up and left to I guess the Congress and the new administration to try and figure out. But when you think of the broad thrust of the Affordable Care Act, it really comes down to the triple A. You know, it comes back to, you know, better experience of care, better outcomes, at lower per capita cost. And it is that lower per capita cost dimension of the triple aim that makes this such a hard program to realize. So, Fred, Doug, you know, is this going to come together, you know, between precision medicine, better care, more effective evidence base of interventions creating better outcomes ultimately from a population perspective at lower per capita cost? What do you guys think?
1: I think, I think the ACO models, as you pointed out so well, are really struggling. And, and the question then becomes, let's say you throw them out and you say these ACOs didn't work. You, they've sort of been built by these integrations of hospitals acquiring a boatload of doctors. So if you move them to a non-ACO structure, I think that's going to make costs even worse. And, and, and it'll be interesting to see what the administration does with that. Uh, over the next couple of years, I know they're, you know, you're, you've essentially created these hospital-centric, although as you point out, the physician-centric ones have done all right, but there are these huge hospital-centric practices now that perhaps aren't looking at the hospital as a cost center yet. So I'm not, I, 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 I'd love to hear what you think about that, Greg, given, you know,
0: the data you just presented. Well, guys, I, I, uh, I think we have a lot of work ahead of us. And uh, one of the comments in the, one of the articles I've read is there's so much more around the culture aspect here and that seeding and changing the culture is a matter of years and not quarters. So we have a lot of work in front of us. And uh, Doug, any le- quick thoughts about precision medicine contributing to the triple line, particularly from a, a lower per capita cost basis?
2: The answer is yes. Uh, They will all come together, and they'll come together precisely in 14 years on December 12th, uh, December 22nd, (laughs) 2040. That is the day of singularity in hell. And you heard it here first.
0: The (laughs) E-futurist has spoken. Well, that's great. So thank you, everyone, for joining us on our year-end wrap-up here on Pop Health Week with my colleagues Fred Goldstein and Douglas Goldstein. And we want to call out to you that uh, the J.P. Morgan Conference and the Biotech Showcase is going to be in the San Francisco uh, the ninth through the 12th of January, and that will be followed by the annual meeting of HIMSS in Orlando, Florida, And we will expect to be present there reporting on what we say, and we hope you'll follow our work, and uh, we'll see you next time. For Doug Goldstein, Fred Goldstein, Greg Masters, say bye now.